Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Paddler's Playbook, a kayak fishing experience. Brought to you by Mariner Sales, providing the largest selection of kayaks and kayak accessories since 1975. Real sportswear, get out on the water and wear what the guides wear. Galveston Redfish Series, the largest, most affordable redfish series on the Gulf Coast. Sign up today. Pure Fishing, home to the world's most trusted fishing brands. Now it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy the paddle with your host, Drew Turner. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land. I'm your host, Drew Turner, and this is another edition of the Paddler's Playbook coming to you live from the Mariner Sales Studio right here in Conroe, Texas. Guys, what is happening? What's going on? I'm in a pretty good mood. Pretty good mood. I had a birthday this week. Shout out to birthdays. Uh, 39 this week, so not the big 4 that that's not going to be till next year. But I had the had the birthday this week. Had a nice cheesecake. I know I talked about doing some intermittent fasting. If you guys didn't check it out, check out the Bass and Brews. I did a uh, I was there last uh, hope for a guest the other day, so I jumped on there, talked with those guys. It was it was fun as it always is on Bass and Brews. It's a little bit of a different show than the Paddler's Playbook, but it's fun to let loose with those guys, have a few drinks, say some choice words that I normally don't say on this show, but I dropped a lot of them there. And Paul's going to give me a hill because he likes to talk about the time that I put out a PSA about when they came on our show, which I did. I mean, I'm not going to lie, I did a PSA. But it was very fun. Um, I also was able to get out and do a little fishing with some of the bro staff, me, my brother, Kevin Wills, we went out and chased some redfish. I was able to find some nice-sized redfish, some smaller ones, too. Starting to figure out the pattern of the bigger fish right now. The smaller fish are also holding on a different pattern. And that's something you guys got to think about. When you're talking to your friends and you're talking about patterns and what the fish are doing in the spring and what the fish are doing right after a front or with the strong south wind. you got to remember, not all the fish are doing that. Some of the smaller fish are going to be holding in certain areas. Some of the bigger fish are going to be holding in different areas. And not all areas are going to set up the same for how these fish are, you know, going to be acting. Where, you know, our buddy Ben and Grant and Abel caught fish was completely different than the areas that we caught fish. Um, so just just think about that. You know, each place that you fish is going to have a different pattern. And, you know, you can kind of guess where they're going to be. But the big thing is just learn an area and learn it well and then go learn another area and learn it well and another area and learn it well. Because this new area that we've been fishing, you know, we decided we needed to branch out and and find some new areas. This new area that we've been fishing sets up completely different than the old area, but we were still able to find the bigger fish compared to the smaller fish. And one of the big things that we found at, you know, everywhere that we really fish, and some people don't take 
notice of it too, too much is big mud boils. Pay attention to the mud boils. Pay attention to when you have more than one mud boil. Like if you have multiple mud boils around you, you should probably stop. Take note of where you're at. Take note of how far am I from the shoreline? What kind of, is there any oyster around me? Is there any grass around me? Do I see any bait? Just take notice of what is around you and fish that same type of area throughout where you're at. You know, go go back off of, of where you're paddling or, you know, take a look at a map and say, okay, this sets up a lot like this. Let me go try that. So just take notice of what's around you guys. Well, enough about what's going on with me. Let's talk about what's coming up on this episode. We got Mr. Adam Ott from Berkeley Bates, but not only that, Adam used to, you know, you'll hear about it. He used to work for Wilderness Kayaks. Um, so we get to talk about his Wilderness Kayak days. We get to talk about Berkeley what may or may not be coming out new from them. He doesn't drop a whole lot of juice, but if you read between the lines, you can kind of get an idea of what he may be talking about that they have uh, they have coming out and that's going to be available to you guys. He did promise that he is going to come on after iCast and talk about the new stuff that they're going to drop. So they're going to drop a bunch of new stuff at iCast. And he's also going to send me some Savage Gear stuff, which I'm really interested because Savage Gear was a purchase that um, Pure Fishing made. They bought the company a year ago, I think. And I'm real interested to see the new stuff from Savage Gear because it is very, very lifelike. And I already know my brother loves the Savage Gear shrimp. But before we get to our mad Adam, Jessica, what's going on with all our sponsors? Hey, bro staff. It's the month of April, and it's the month of first. Galveston Redfish Series number one kicks off April 15th at Harbor Walk Marina in Hitchcock, Texas. Weigh-in times are 2 to 4 p.m. Get online at GalvestonRedfishSeries.com and register for the largest, most affordable redfish series on the Gulf Coast. And if you're an angler that loves to be first, Mariner Sales has an exclusive offer for you. In honor of Old Town's 125th anniversary, they have released a limited edition kayak color. The Grey Ghost is stamped and signed with its limited edition number. Old Town has released several of these amazing kayaks to its biggest retailer, Mariner Sales. Due to its exclusive nature, you can only get these beauties in store. So run, don't walk, and get your Old Town Grey Ghost today. Number one in sportswear, that's the place that Real Sportswear's spring collection has in my heart and in the heart of Texas anglers. Their Texas roots have produced the fishing apparel and clothing that fits the all-or-nothing lifestyle and pays homage to the spirit that defines our unique culture. So log on to sportswear.com today and get the look that belongs in the winner's circle. Guys, I am Saltside Jess, and you are number one in my heart, and I'll see you on the Salt Side. 
Jessica, thank you so much for telling us all about everything going on with our sponsors. I cannot wait to get out to Mariner Sales Demo Days. I'm pre-fishing for GRS this past weekend. I'm probably going to pre-fish for it, you know, the weekend that this comes out as well. I'm, I'm really stoked about Galveston Redfish Series. Guys, if you have not signed up for the Galveston Redfish Series, sign up now. I, I'm, I'm getting tired of you crybabies out there talking about, we need to grow the sport, we need to grow the sport, we need bigger pots. Well, you know what that means? That means you guys need to donate your money to GRS, go try to win some money, or you can donate it to Team Turner Rodco. But you need to get out there, you need to sign up for these tournaments, and you need to fish now if you are going to sign up for grs if you're going to go get that brand new kayak for mariner sales you guys want to have the best baits available and today i've got the product manager from not only berkeley saltwater but also savage gear and savage gear guys if you aren't using some savage gear shrimp out there whenever you're sight casting redfish you you probably need to start you, you need to go to the store you need to pick up some savage gear shrimp you need to put them in your tackle box and i'll tell you look i'm gonna give away some juice some free juice here the smallest savage gear shrimp that they sell if you rig those suckers up in tandem you are going to annihilate some redfish in the drains, especially this time of year when there is just a little bit, you know, a little, those, the little shrimp are still coming out. They're not really big. The little shrimp are still coming out, but I got my man, Adam Ott with here with me today. Adam, how are you doing today, man? Good, man. How's it going? I, I'm excited. I'm really excited about this show. We had uh, Chris, one of your coworkers. He, he's in the line department over there at Berkeley. We had him on last year. I think it was last year, beginning of last year. And the listeners really love that show, and I'm hoping that we can get the same great information because I always like hearing about Berkeley because they the, the things that they do. Me and you talked a little bit before this. The testing that they do, it's crazy. Chris was telling me that when they're developing scents, you'll put a uh, cotton ball that has the scent in it and then drop it into the tub and then you are like sitting there people are sitting there with a clicker not you but you know people are sitting there with a clicker like okay that bass held onto that cotton ball for 2.7 seconds then they put another solution in there oh, that one held on to it for 2.3 like they are really getting down and dirty over there at the lab but before we start talking about baits adam you are an avid kayaker you you've been kayaking for for a while you know you were you know the brand manager for wilderness so i gotta ask you was was wilderness your first kayak what was your very first fishing kayak and tell me how you got into kayaking yeah man so i uh i actually started whitewater kayaking so i started whitewater kayaking in uh the year 2000 i got a job at a uh a local kind of outdoor outfitter in augusta and uh had never been in a kayak before and all the guys that were paddlers and it, it looked like a ton of fun right and so they're like okay well you know we'll teach you how but you've got to go uh go with us today and i'm like okay well what are we doing you know they're like well what you have to do is you have to paddle over this dam and if you do that with us well then we'll teach you how to do it and so that was my first experience at a kayak was was paddling over this dam in augusta 
was it was it that was it that hard to paddle over the dam or were they just trying to make sure that like you had the nerve to to get over there and really push I, I think that was that was more of it it was it was not hard at all you know i mean okay. gravity does all the work at that point so okay. you know it was about, about 10 feet ability. down okay yeah no not at all what athletic um, ability it was just like let's see does this guy does he have you know does he have the the intestinal fortitude to get up here and just drop off that's exactly right. Yeah. So I uh, started there, started, like I said, about in 2000 doing that. Uh, and then in about 2005, I went to work for Confluence uh, and, you know, kind of worked in several different departments, worked in customer service, uh, worked in sales and marketing, uh, and then started about eight years ago, I was uh, became the, the brand manager for Wilderness Systems. So that's when I really started kind of getting more into kayak fishing. Okay, so what was your first fishing? If you worked for Confluence, what was your first official fishing kayak? Like you had it rigged up and ready to go. You know, it's hard when when you work in development like that. Um, you kind of just take whatever you got and whatever you're working on at that point. So, I mean, really, probably the first fully rigged kayak I've owned has been my my Recon, okay. uh, which was the, really the last boat I worked on there. Um, but you know, you. you I started work. I think the first boat that I started working on was the uh, the Tarpon X, the Tarpon One Thirty. Uh, so that was really the, in that. Yeah, that's exactly put, right. Yeah, put the lawn chair seat in that Tarpon. Yep. So we did that, and that was really the, probably the first boat I ever really fished out of. Uh, starting there, and then went from there. We did the Radar after that, the Attack One Twenty, um, and then I think the Recon was the last boat I did while I was there. there I, look, there's a lot of guys right now listening that are old school yakkers that are cussing you right now for putting that lawn chair seat and that tarpon and the tarpon 120 and 140 going away they're not happy about it at all that was a that was a great paddling boat but i was always like man if this tarpon just had like a a little bit better seat in it if it just had a lawn chair seat in it it would be great and you guys put one in there yeah, well, that was always the, the the kind of the battle, right, is that more traditional kayakers always wanted kind of the, the regular seat and the fishermen always wanted the more, you know, uh, the, the kind of lawn chair style seat. You know, they want you, you want the kind of the comfort because you're not always paddling. Right. Mm. And so it's just kind of a different mindset there between the two different customers who are looking at that. So when you were going, were you going back and forth between. You know, okay, let me, let me go back. So you started out whitewater kayaking. Were you an angler before that? Like, did you do a lot of fishing before you started whitewater kayaking or did that come? No, I, no, I I started fishing as a, you know, I fished as a kid. Uh, You know, my dad would take me, uh, we'd go up, I lived in Tennessee and we'd go up and, you know, we'd fish for trout in the creek. And so that was uh, most of my fishing kind of growing up. And then uh, did not start really uh, fishing until after I started working on wilderness systems and really working on 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 kayaks. And the secret is I'm the world's worst fisherman. <laughs> uh, so it makes it really easy for me to kind of pay attention to what's going on, you know, how people are using the boats and that sort of thing. Um, because I'm always trying to soak up n- more information to try to get better. Right. Because I am really the world's worst fisherman. So if, you, um, if so, tonight, if tonight you tell us that you catch fish with this particular me my job, yeah, trying to figure things out all the time, you know. Yeah. So tonight, if you tell us I catch fish with this particular bait, with you being the world's worst fisherman, we should definitely buy that bait because we know it catches fish, right? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. So I'll tell you. Um, 
after I started working uh, at Pure Fishing, uh, Nathan, who does bass bait now for Berkeley, took me over to Lake Lanier. And uh, it was in the spring, and it was a, a pretty rough overcast day. And I was throwing a stunner. And I was just wrecking them. It's the most productive day I've ever had on the water. And so if you want to catch fish in the spring, use a stunner. You're going to catch them. Go buy a stunner. There you go. Oh, man. In like seven different colors. So... That that's funny because it seems like like you guys at Berkeley and and you know just they like names like Stunna, Chapo, like they're really yeah. bold, simple names. Do you know is there like a committee that names that? Or do they pull the office? Like how do how does some of these baits get their names? Yeah, I mean, it really starts with uh, everybody just kind of sitting around in a group uh, and and throwing names out, and you know, no bad, uh, no names or bad names until you start uh, kind of weeding through the list, right? Because if you throw a name out there, it may you know start somebody else on this name or that name. Uh, so really, it's, you know, it's a group effort, and you just kind of sit around and you uh, you throw things out until you get something that that really kind of sticks. Now you don't have to call anybody out, but is there anybody that's in that group that you're just like? <sighs> This guy has the worst names for all of these baits. Yes. And <laughs> I will not call him out. You will not call him okay, but, but there is somebody in the group that you're just like, man, he's horrible. These, these bait names yes. just don't make any sense. They're, Absolutely. They're completely. So did you ever take your rod and reel on a whitewater kayak just to just to try it, just to see if you could do it? No, you know, I would go down and, and walk to the bank of some of the some of the rivers that we would be on. Carry a little, uh, you know, carry a little before we got on or, or when we take off. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's kind of when you get to the place where you're gonna get in your car anyway. Yeah. So whenever but, uh, you're yeah, saying no, Oh, I'm sorry. Whenever you're saying you're de- you help developed those kayaks, like what part of the development from you said you kind of had a whitewater background to confluence, like what part of the development do you think was your specialty that you, you know, really were were great at? Because I just had this conversation a few weeks ago with Drew, Drew Gregory from Crescent. We were talking about different things, and he was talking about developing the whole of the kayak. And I said, well, you know, there's right. probably thousands of guys out there, probably more than that, hundreds of thousands of guys that can tell you what they want on the deck of the kayak, but there's not a lot of people who can design the whole of the kayak to do what they want it to do. Now, which, which piece of the puzzle did you have your hand in everything or, or what, what did you help with the development? Yeah. So, you know, I was, I was still kind of in a, more in a, in a marketing position. So my job was to sit down and kind of help, the design team look at the market and okay, we, we look in and say, okay, there's a, a, a hole here and this is where we think we can put a boat and, and this is what the, the kind of spin that we can put on it. Right. And then I would go um, put together a focus group and we would sit down with the designers and the engineers and we would talk to the focus group. We take that information and kind of boil it down and kind of put a, a little box around kind of what we think we want to do with the boat. And then we, you know, we, uh, at that point we kind of sit around and, and say, okay, well, how much room do we need in the boat to be able to accomplish this? Okay. Well, is, is that too long to be able to use if, if in a river setting, you know, do we need to make it shorter? So how are we going to kind of work around those constraints? And then, 
uh, you know, you'd sort of start laying it out with the designer and the engineer about where things are going to go. And then they would actually design the boat, right? They would, they would sit down and CAD model it. And, and then uh, I would come back in and, and we would talk about, you know, Oh, you know, maybe if we move this here, move that there. Um, and then we would go out test. Uh, we would send testing videos to focus group people. We get pe folks from the focus group to come in and help us test and then uh, help wrap it up. And then we would go back and uh, I would help develop the, uh, the like the launch plan and the, and the marketing plan from there. Okay. So I have two questions to follow that up with. Whenever you're saying a focus group, are these like pro staffers or people that you guys normally work with? Or where are you getting the people for these focus groups for new models that you guys are just, you know, trying to figure out features and stuff on? Sorry, I lost you on my headphones there. Oh, you're fine. Um, so it's for terms of, in terms of putting together a focus group, you know, it would be uh, folks on our pro team, pro staff. Uh, it would be folks from uh, different uh, dealerships around, different key dealers, uh, folks who worked at dealers who were avid fishermen. Uh, it would be, in some cases, reaching out to just people we knew who fished, depending on who the target audience was for that for that particular boat. Um, you know, especially if we were looking at a boat that was designed more with a beginner in mind, we would look, you know, less necessarily the guys on the pro staff and more towards people who necessarily didn't necessarily have a whole lot of fishing experience mm -hmm. and try to really target down to that audience and, and get down to where those, those folks were going to be. And and my, my follow-up question for that is, for you in that position, how great were social media owners groups and social media fishing groups to just kind of gauge where the market is with you know all these posts and people talking about it like you could you can kind of find a need and and get information without going everywhere to talk to these big groups of people is that i mean is that is that right where were you getting your information on what the market really needs yeah, I mean, so we would definitely look at those groups. You know, we'd look at feedback from previous boats we had done on on different pain points that people had. You know, what was working, what wasn't working, what wasn't working, or what was working with other brands' boats, that sort of thing. Uh, and then, you know, really kind of looking in terms of just figuring out what the market wanted at that point. Uh, it was really having an eye toward. Okay, so this is this is what our competitive group looks like, right? And mm -hmm. so what's what's not out there right now what doesn't exist or what do we feel like uh you know competitive brands aren't necessarily doing well yeah. that we can do better and, where can and we fit to... into this niche and excel in this category right and or or you know if we see a boat that's that's if we saw a product that was popular we'd go out and say okay well we're just going to beat them right and mm. so we're going to do a know, better version of that of that exactly that's exactly right so you look at it and you try to just gauge where you think those opportunities are and then uh, circle back around and, and, and do it in development. Like I listened to a few different podcasts and it's, it's, this was actually from a wrestling podcast. I don't know if anybody really watches or, or knows anything about wrestling, but aired Bischoff, um, who was the head of WCW whenever they were going up against uh, WWF, he is, his thing is you either have to be, better than or different than 
You don't right. want to be the same. He's like, you have to put out a product that's better than exists or currently exists. You cannot have something that is about the same as something that currently exists. And I think over the last five years, there hasn't been a huge, huge advancement, I think, of things that are just completely different. I think they're just all trying to put out the biggest um, boats with the most storage that they can because of the advent of motors going on the back of some of these things. And I could be wrong. Like, maybe maybe I'm just looking at it differently. But I just I don't see that same – well, except for river kayaks. I take that back. There's been an emphasis on river kayaks um, lately in the market. But they're just getting – Less number of models, but maybe more dialed in. I mean, yeah. I, I think that's I think that's a good observation. Like, I think that's fair. I think uh, you know, I think that with any any new thing, right? When people start to get into it, there's all these ideas that people are throwing against the wall to see what's going to stick, right? And you've got a you've got a lot of products that come out that are really good, and you've got a lot of products that come out that aren't so good, which causes that that company to really you know, flip that thing faster because it didn't work. Right. And so I think that we're in a, just a space now where kayak fishing is, is starting to mature, right. It, mm -hmm. For a long time, it was a very, very niche thing. I mean, wilderness systems had been making fishing kayaks since the nineties, right. They had motorized kayaks in the nineties. Um, and it was just kind of a, a, a more of a niche sport. And then as more people started to get involved with it, you saw, uh, different ways to kind of meet the needs of the fishermen. Right. And so everybody had these ideas and some of them were working and some of them weren't. And when you got through that evolution, uh, you know, you're kind of in this, this more, uh, perfecting stage at this point, rather than necessarily having those giant leaps that you can make because you're yeah. starting to see things are getting kind of tuned in. People really had their preferences, right. Um, as to what they like in a boat and what they don't like in a boat. Um, and so I think that it's just, just a sign that, you know, we're getting to a, a much more mature sport. And yeah. I think, I think overall that's, it, it may seem like we're slowing down a little bit, but overall, I think that's a good thing. I think that, that it means that there's a really big following. There's a good base of manufacturers in, in the space. Um, so you know, I think that people will continue to innovate, but it won't necessarily be in these dramatic ways that we've seen in the past. No, I don't think it'll be like new boats, like a, a dramatic new boat. You're, you're the kayak companies seem to be going towards. They have their large, you know, their large bass boat that yep. is the top of the line, and then they have a smaller version um, that still has some great features. And then after that, they have their low cost pedal drive. Yep. And then they have their recreational boats. Like that's that's what everybody is going to. I mean, that's what Hobie's going to. That's Old Town. That's they're even you know bringing out the new the Ocean Line now. Um, Wilderness. They have the Recon, and then they have the Radar, and yep. then it drops down from there. Like yeah. uh, I, I think all of them are doing that, but. We, we talked a lot about kayak there. You're you're with you're. We're talking about baits on this show. Let's, That's let's right, man. Some bait stuff. But before we get to the bait stuff, I I gotta know though. What is your most memorable fishing 
memory? What is one? If somebody said, tell me one fishing memory, which one is going to stand out to you the most? It could be from when you were a little kid. It could be last week. It could be catching a huge sailfish. Like what is your most memorable fishing memory? You know, honestly, it's probably taking my kids fishing for the first time. Um, you know, we took them down to the Chattooga River and did some trout fishing on the backside of one of the islands down there. And uh, they had a really good time and we caught maybe one fish a piece, but that was all right. <laughs> because again, I'm the world's worst fisherman. Um, but, you know, they had a good time and getting them into that uh, was was really, really, I think, the most memorable for me. So what kind of trout was that? Uh, it was one that was about that long. Was it speckled trout? Like, are we saltwater or are we freshwater with that? Oh, freshwater, yeah. Freshwater, freshwater trout, just a few little ones. And the yeah. the kids get so excited whenever they catch a fish, and they're screaming oh, and yelling. Like, it's it's awesome. Well, especially, you know, when they don't catch something, and then they catch something, then they're like, oh, oh, we got to stay now. We got to stay all day, you know. Yeah. It, was, it really turned them on to it. It's good. We got to do all of this, all of this, Dad. Um, I learned that my son, he wanted to go fishing, but – he had some ulterior motives. So when we went fishing, he got to pack his own lunch, and I let him get a root beer to go fishing. <laughs> so every picture you see of my 13-year-old when he was really little, he's got Oreo crumbs on both sides of his face, and you can see an A&W root beer sitting in the cup holder beside him in the kayak or sitting on the bank or something like that. Now that he's older, he doesn't like to fish at all, but he's like, well, if we can we stop at Bucky's and and get some kolaches and stuff if I go fishing with you and I'm like sure son we'll, we'll stop and get some kolaches or you dude, can take some Oreos. Being outside is always a reason for extra snacks, dude. Oh yeah, I learned yeah. that early on. <laughs> you got to have the extra snacks. You got to have everything. But so production manager for Savage Gear and Berkeley. So. Yep. You've told us about what you did with wilderness. What does production manager mean? Because I got no clue what a production manager for a huge, you know, organization like Berkeley, Saltwater, and Savage Gear does. Yeah, I mean, as a product manager, I do kind of largely the same thing, uh, but just just with a different, you know, product with with bait. So you know, it's my job to kind of look at the market and help guide where. Um, where we're going in terms of design and development, uh, looking for holes in the market, looking for uh, new innovations that we can put in. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to work with a bunch of really talented designers. Um, we've got a couple up in uh, Iowa for, um, you know, Berkeley. And then I work with a gentleman over in Denmark with Savage. And all three of those dudes are just incredible talents in terms of design and execution on, on baits. And so anything that we can think of, they can, they can make a reality. And these guys, you know, they eat, sleep and breathe fishing mm -hmm. and they always have ideas and are always cooking something up. And so it makes it really easy to be able to come up with new ideas. Um, uh, you know, so really it's, it's a matter of just trying to focus down on what we think that the most impactful ideas are going to be and trying to help make sure that those get executed uh, and it's also just, you know, really just listening to people, right? Listening to people, uh, you know, what, what situation do you find yourself in when you don't, and you don't feel like you have a really good bait to be able to do that with, right? Uh, is there a color that you wish you had? Is there a technology that would make this easier? 
and just trying to make sure that we're tapping into all that and and focusing it down and and driving it through and, and, and creating a product from those ideas. So whenever you're saying you guys have an idea and then you hit up, you know, the creative team with it, how, how many guys are we talking that are creating saltwater baits for Berkeley or Savage Gear? Is it a team of guys or is it like three or four guys that actually, you know, you give them the inspiration and then they come back with like, I'm guessing they come back with just renderings of something and then you guys go from there. How does it work and how many people are really involved? Yeah, it, 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 it can come kind of two ways. One, it either comes kind of from the general public is asking a question and, and we're trying to seek an, you know, a solution to that, that problem that people are having. Or two, it comes from the inspiration from those designers. They can be playing around with something and creating, and then they come up with an idea that just bubbles to the top and you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this, this is the, the thing, right? This is what we got to do next. Um, and so, you know, at that point, um, we have uh, one main designer for Savage, or actually two designers for Savage Gear, and then we have two designers for Berkeley. And then they also have, in Berkeley, they have a whole team over there that helps with uh, CAD. It helps with prototyping. Um, you know, we have a, a, a whole lab over there where we can take an, an idea, we draw it, we refine it in drawing, we prototype it, uh, and we can do that through 3D printing. We can do that through uh, molding, you know, cu custom made molds that we make there in house um, and custom uh, plastic formulations, all that sort of thing uh, in order to be able to try to prototype that out. And then we take it into the lab and we test it. We test the action on it. We test how it interacts with fish. Um, and then we come back to, to the draw drawing board and say, okay, you know, is, is this working the way that we thought it was going to work? Is it doing something great that maybe we didn't think it was going to do before? Um, and so now uh, what changes need to be made at this point? And so we make changes at that point. And then when we feel like we have it dialed in there, then we take it to uh, do lab testing. So we do, um, uh, you know, hydrodynamic testing and make sure it swims the way that we want it to swim. And then we start looking at how the fish interact with it. And then we do tons of field testing too. You know, we take it out and we'll send it out to pros and, and we'll let them just fish it and they'll have feedback then. And then we actually have, you know, kind of scientific field, field testing that we do where we go out and we will have um, folks throw with them in, in similar situations and we'll throw it against uh, competitive baits or we'll throw it against different types of baits in that category. So if we have a new, I don't know, a new, um, um, Come on, give us some juice. What's something that we're working on? Come on, give us give us something here. You have so, hypothetically, we, we're doing air quotes. If we had this, hypothetically, if we had a new swim bait that we were working on, uh, then we would take it out and we would throw that swim bait against swim baits that we had come out with in the past, and and we measure their catch rates and 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 uh, really just try to take a a really hard scientific look at you know, what is working, what's not working and, and make judgments, you know, from that data. So are you, are you over, I don't want to say, I don't mean over, but do you kind of see this whole process happen or like what part of your job starts and then kind of stops and then you wait for this to happen and then they come back to you or, or do you get to follow the bait through the whole, you know, the whole process? 
I mean, I, I, we're certainly sad. I follow it through the process, but, but you know, in terms of who we have folks who, um, you know, they're in, in charge of testing, uh, you know, the designers obviously are out there testing it. Um, we're get, getting feedback from, um, you know, different uh, opinion leaders trying to figure out, you know, how, what they think about it. And, you know, my job is really to kind of just kind of consolidate the information and, and sit everybody down and say, okay, now that we've all heard all this, what do we think, you know, what do we think the right direction is and, and really just kind of um, uh, be a sounding board for, for those, the, the designers and creators so that they can, uh, you know, do what they do because they, they're, they're, you know, the real talent behind all these, these products. Well, it sounds like, and if they're really creative people, sometimes really creative people are great at being creative, but they're not really great at staying on task for keeping a product launch together and keeping like everything within the lines. Cause most very talented people, they're very talented like that because they sometimes get zoned in and they are one track. So it's like, I am, I am desire. I'm creating this bait. I'm designing it. And then someone like yourself probably has to corral all those people together and be like, okay, this is awesome. I'm glad we did all this, but how are we going to bring this to market and how are we going to get it out to the people and what are the selling points going to be? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's not, they, they can't do that. It's that we don't want them spending their time doing that. Right. They've got, they've got a, yeah. they've got a, a job that they've got to do and they've got, you've to got to use time. their talents to, you know, to right. Exactly. Let, yeah. let them do that and let them create and let them, let them do that. Absolutely. So has there been any, um, any product launches or, or a product that we may know about that has already launched that you've been able to go through the whole process of since you've been there uh, with Berkeley and Savage gear? Not yet. So actually I came, I've only been here about a year, a little, okay. little over a year. And so I came in uh, last year on the tail end of some, some things, uh, you know, I got to work on the slobber knocker a little bit uh, and some of those launches that kind of came in through the bass side last year. Uh, a lot of that stuff was in process and I just kind of helped, you know, kind of move it across the finish line uh, with the team. And then, um, you know, this year have really kind of started a bunch of products that you'll see uh, stuff coming through to ICAST will be the oh, first nice. kind of full full range that i've been a, been a part of that that is going to drop an ice so we need to do this yep. again right after icast so you can really talk about talk about what what was dropping and and what happened there yeah that'd be great so what um what baits are your favorite right now from savage gear uh i would say that i have the most fun uh throwing stuff like the uh the pulse tail mullet uh, is, is a, is a lot of fun to throw. Um, and then, you know, the shrimp obviously is, is always a good one. Um, and then you know, like the, we've got a little pulse tail pin fish, uh, that we throw a little swim bait. Um, we've got a, uh, what we call a prop walker is, is a lot of fun. It's a, uh, top water walker. That's also got like convertible, uh, you pull out the little propellers on the end. So it can be a prop bait or it can be a walking I like bait. That. Yeah. So a it's a lot of convertible bait. That's right. I like that. And the um, the the 3D Manic Shrimp and the, you know, the Shrimp RTF and the Weedless VF, like, I said it at the beginning of the show. If you're not throwing those at Spooky Redfish, 
you need to start throwing those at spooky redfish. Oh, because they do not make a big splash whenever they hit the water. Yep. They have a very lifelike movement to them, and they're pretty light. So if, if you don't have – we went out, and I threw everything that I could think of at these redfish, and they were spooking as my line was coming, like, through the freaking water at them. Like, it, the, it hadn't even touched the water yet. I'm 30 yards from this thing, and I'm trying to chunk it as far as I can. And they were spooking before the line hit the water. But then my brother threw on the little Savage Gear shrimp and started to kill it. So, yeah. I mean, just, if, if they're, they're not as prevalent in the saltwater world as they should be, but I think a lot of people, now that they're with the pure fresh pure fishing brand are gonna we're gonna see more and more people talking about you know some stuff from savage gear yeah we really hope that you know it's gonna help a lot with you know name recognition at least and uh get kind of getting it out there in front of people um you know that manic shrimp's been a a, a good bait for a, a while for us and and uh you know the more people that know about it the more people are gonna catch fish so <laughs> Yeah, and these the, the the little pulse tails that you're talking about, like that's that's kind of the new the new thing for a lot of bait manufacturers is the I don't want to say small, but like a chunkier kind of swim bait, but not yeah. not kind of a swim bait, but it's just a beefier, um, not it's not even a shad mimic really. It's just it's a it's a beefier bait. Um, because there's the, oh, is it the gully? Is it the Berkeley gully? Is that what it's called? The gilly, yeah. The gilly, because the gilly's kind of similar to that Paul Shad in, uh, or the pulse tail, I think, in just the silhouette of it, you know, the, the profile yeah, definitely. of it. That yeah, think, profile is something that, that's kind of new. It's, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, and, and seeing that, that really flexible technology that they've been able to put into that one, um, you know, Kyle did a really great job on that one, uh, getting the action right and getting a, a really good look around it. Um, so that, you know, that's really been kind of a, kind of a learn for us. Um, so one of the cool things about that Savage did was they actually were one of, were the first folks who actually made hyper realistic bait. And the reason that we call a lot of the bait, uh, they'll be called 3d is because we actually take a real fish and we 3d scan it. And so we start with an, an actual fish as our base model for developing the bait. And we, then we modify it from there. And I know you said you're the worst fisherman ever, but is there, do you prefer the more realistic type baits or do you prefer the not realistic baits at all? Because I've been fishing the non-realistic baits for a while. My brother really likes the realistic style because like I'll throw white and chartreuse and it catches redfish, but there is, there ain't a single fish that swims here. That is white and shark. Like I've never seen any fish in Texas that have chartreuse in it. Like, I don't know where it comes from where we put chartreuse tails. Like there's no fish in the marsh with chartreuse tails. A mud minnow doesn't have it. A mullet doesn't have it, but it hits it. But what is your, uh, your thought on that? Are you an ultra realistic guy? Or are you just, uh, Let's, let's see what they're biting on. I mean, for me, you know, it's, it's whatever works that day. Uh, you know, it's all about triggering them and, and just getting them to bite. And if, if some days it's going hyper-realistic, then, then that's great. And some days it's, you know, it's about 
throwing gulp and, and getting scent in the water so that they come over and they check it out, you know? So uh, it's just, just having a, a uh, toolbox full of the, the right tools for the day and, and cycling through them and using them. And that's so, probably I, why I'm the worst, worst fisherman. Is <laughs> you just want to cycle through them all. You want to that's see right. That's all exactly right. Them. You want to see what they all do. See, see what's different about them. Now, I, earlier I talked about the cotton balls and everything, and you're talking about, you know, the lab and the different testing. Has there been any tests that you've seen that has just been like, I never would have thought to do that with a bait? Or has there been anything – or a test that you know about or that you guys do at, at Berkeley that you're just like, that is pretty dang cool. Like that that's awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that they do in the lab that I can't tell you about because it's got to stay secret. Um, but it, you know, it, it really is, like I said, it's, it, it was really easy for me to, to come here and, and, and believe in Berkeley because I know that if they tell me that something does something, it's because they've studied it and they've looked at it. And, and they've got, you know, they can show me the test results from, from the test and say, okay, you know, in, in 30 out of, uh, 35 tests, you know, we won on the, on these criteria. And, and so, um, you know, you mentioned kind of the, the watching the fish, uh, eat the, the little cotton balls and do the taste testing. And that's, that's really cool. Uh, and then a lot of the really kind of hydrodynamic testing that they do on the action of the bait, I, I find really interesting. I, th I think coming from from kayaking, you know, you are are looking at water, trying to make something inherently stable, and then uh, a fishing bait is is inherently unstable, right? Yeah, it's yeah. opposite. What, right, but you want it you, to be predictably unstable. Yes, so it's, it, it it's can't kind be of a too unstable, or it's just going to be everywhere, and you're going to have knots in your line and everything. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's just kind of a different way of looking at how water works. And, and uh, it's, it's been really interesting to kind of, kind of follow through that. And you may not have the answer for this, but I mean, you probably won't have the answer for this. Honestly, I've come up with my own little conclusion um, about the Chapo. Like I love throwing the Chapo, but I have, I am convinced that that bait was never tested with someone sitting in a kayak. And the reason I say that is if you do not have your rod tip fairly high when reeling in a bait like a chopo, you will start to get line twist and everything. So right. I, I'm pretty certain that that bait was definitely designed to be thrown, casted, and reeled in with somebody being three to four foot off the top of the water in a bass boat. And I'm always telling people that if you're going to throw the chopo, like throw it, it will catch fish. But you have got to hold your rod tip up higher than you normally would, even working a soft plastic, so you get the right action with the way that that bait was designed. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I actually haven't ever thrown a chopo out of a kayak. I've thrown it out of a boat, so mm -hmm. I'll have and to it, take it out and tr try that out. It works. It works great out of the boat because you're like three foot off the you know off the top of the water. You're four right, foot off the yeah. top of the water. Whenever you're in the kayak, you're like two foot, and most people are only a foot because they hold the rod down in front of them whenever they're working top waters. So yeah. I always tell people, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna throw the chopo, you need to get your your rod up at about a forty five degree angle and get ready to set that hook because they're gonna smash it. But if you don't, if you let it if you let it go down a little bit. 
um, you're going to start to get a little bit of line twist. So just add, do me a favor. Ask the designers that actually worked on that if that was right. part of it. Because I, I've had that theory for about the past year. And I just want to know if I'm right or not. I could be completely wrong, which happens a lot. But I just I just want to know if I'm right or not. Yeah, no, man. I'll, I'll definitely ask. That's a, that's a great question. Now, since you were with Wilderness for a long time, um, I want to ask you this question because this is going to be kind of a reoccurring thing over the next few weeks on this show. There's a big debate going on right now about motors on kayaks. Right. And I'm, I have a kayak with a motor, and okay. I have a kayak that's pedal drive, so I can compete in both of these tournaments that some tournaments are allowing motors, and other tournaments are not allowing motors. Yep. Now, coming from someone who's been in the kayak industry for a while, where do you stand on motors in kayak tournaments? Do you think they should be allowed? Is, or is it just like we're growing with the times? Um, you got better availability of, of motors and yeah. lighter batteries. It's the wave of the future, or do you think, hey, let's stick to our roots, let's pedal or paddle, you know, we, we can't let motors take over. Yeah. Man, you know, I'm... It's I hard, I'm, it's I'm, hard. I'm, I'm a little on the fence on this one, because personally, like, when I paddle, I go out to paddle, and so, I'll you know, I'll go out and I'll paddle a, a touring boat or something, but when I go out and fish, I, I use a motor because I want to concentrate on fishing, right? I want to cover water. I want to uh, kind of think of, think about that. I don't want to be dealing with the paddles much in my in my lap and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm very much of the mind that I'm going to use a motor to fish with. Um, and so I think that that's it's a great thing that there are tournaments out there that allow them and some that don't. And that way, if you if you don't want to fish against guys with motors, then then you don't have to. Uh, but you know, personally I, I use one and, and I really enjoy it. I'm like I said, I'm on the fence about it too. I, I can see where some people are saying like it takes away from the purity of what a kayak is, but those same people are in pedals drives now, which if we want to go back to the purity thing, like let's, let's not allow pedal drives and let's just all paddle. And then we're all on the same page out yeah. there. I but, mean, I can, I can see their point about, you know, your own physical exertion, human power, right. Yeah. Human power. And, you know, I, I definitely when I get off the water and I've paddled or I've pedaled, I feel a little more accomplished because, you know, I've put in that extra effort. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I see their point in terms of it being a little more pure, but, you know, frankly, like I said, I, I boats have gotten so big and, and, and kind of heavy at this point that, you know, um, running a motor i think is yeah if that's what you want to do that's go for it but here's my question to that should kai this is a completely different question but should kayak tournaments are we trying to find out who the best kayaker is or are we trying to figure out who the best angler is out of a kayak because if you're looking at it as I am an angler that chooses to fish out of a kayak. Most mm -hmm. of those guys are going to say, hey, everybody slap a motor on the back. Let's go find some fish. Now, if you are more of a paddler, 
or even a peddler who loves to fish as well, you're going to be like, oh, no, we don't need motors because this is this is a test of your endurance. This is a test of your, you know, physical being currently, and it's a test of your angling skills. So it's a, you know, it's multifaceted on what, uh, what you're trying to accomplish out of having a kayak fishing tournament. So I think that's where the separation comes with 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 some people, and I could be completely wrong. But like I said, that's that's now that I'm analyzing it more and more, the people who are anglers that do it from a kayak are the ones that are like, yeah, let's throw motors. Everybody get a motor. Let's roll. The ones that enjoy the physical aspect of kayaking are the ones that are like, motors should not be allowed. Like. I, I want to prove to you that I am in better physical condition. I'm a better angler and I can tough it out and grind it out more than you can. Yeah. I mean, there's something to that. I think that, you know, if you look at it, you know, you, you know, you had mentioned like a, a, a purist point of view. If you have a purist point of view, nothing that we, that we fish out of now is a kayak, really. I mean, a kayak is a skin on frame uh, craft that, you know, you hunted whales out of yeah, the in, in, in the, in the Arctic. Exactly. Right. right. So, so everything that we have now is, is a derivation of that, but you know, it's not from a pure standpoint, uh, you know, what a kayak really is. Right. And so, you know, it, and, and I think that drops back to, again, the, the concept of kayak fishing kind of maturing is that now there's something in it for everybody. You know, if you want to use a motor, you've got a boat, if you want to paddle a boat, you know, you've got a boat. If you want to pedal a boat, you got something to serve you there. So, you know, just get in, get in and do what you want and, and be happy, man. I agree. I agree. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to marinate on this and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it with a bunch of different guests over the next few months. And then I'm finally going to make my decision. I think at the end of this year, whether I think that all kayak tournaments should go to motors or all kayak tournaments should just be human powered only. I still haven't decided right now. I'm leaning motors cause I like to use my motor. It's nice. It's nice. When you get to weigh in and you're not just like dog tired and you can actually enjoy talking to everybody and you're not falling asleep on the way home from the tournament. Like that's, that's pretty nice. But on the other hand, there also is something to, like my old co-host Chris used to say, like there's something to draining your batteries all the way down and grinding out a day and then being rewarded for it at the end of a tournament by, you know, placing or being in the money or, you know, getting your name called out or recognition from your buddies there at the uh, at the tournament weigh-in. So there's there's something to be said for both of them. But as I get a little bit older, I'm starting to like the not being so damn tired and it ruining the first half of my week because I can just get on my autopilot and press a button and turn left, turn right, and go. It is. It, it definitely makes makes life a little easier. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it, it's it's a little it's a little better come Monday morning. Um, That's right. Yeah. But Adam, man. We're about to get out of here. We're going on, you know, almost an hour. Anything else you want to talk about? Anything you can talk about of anything new that may be dropping or anything? Uh, you know, uh, not right now. I think, uh, you know, iCash will start seeing a lot of stuff dropping. Uh, so, um, you know, definitely, if you're willing to come back after that, 
Uh, oh, otherwise, yeah. you know, just had a really good time talking about fishing and it's uh, really great to meet you. And thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Awesome. man. yeah, so we're going to have to we're going to have to set this up right. Well, not right after ICAST because you're going to be tired. But soon after ICAST, like let's let's get together. Let's do this show again so we can talk about everything that dropped at ICAST from Berkeley and Savage Gear. Guys, I really appreciate you listening to the show. Again, check out all our sponsors, Mariner Sales, everything from Pure Fishing. Check out Penn, Abu Garcia, Berkeley, Savage Gear, Fenwick, every I mean, just go to Pure Fishing and look at everything that they have to offer over there. Check out Real Sportswear, get you that Pro Plus hoodie. It is the greatest fishing shirt you will ever put on your skin. I promise. And if you have not already purchased your Paddler's Playbook 2013 Bro Staff Fishing Jersey, make sure to hit up the socials and pick those up. And, guys, we will see you later. Peace.